You're listening to an iFanboy Special Edition Podcast. I'm Josh, and today I'll be talking with writer B. Clay Moore. So I'm here with B. Clay Moore, a uh, comic book writer of uh, many, many, many things. <laughs> How you doing? I'm doing fine. Very good. How about yourself? I'm I'm pretty good today. It's a very good. lovely day in New York City. Uh, where, oh, are, where are you right now? I'm in suburban Kansas City. Suburban Kansas City. Is it is yeah. it lovely there, or you are under threat from tornado? Uh, we're <laughs> actually this has been a pretty crazy tornado season, but uh, um, we we tend to just get the warnings and then kind of watch the footage of the little towns in Kansas that get crushed. But um, no, today's nice. It's in the mid 80s, so. Oh. Um, but, <laughs> The reason that we are talking uh, is because uh, you posted a blog, uh, a blog post, and it made your dog angry. Hang on, there we go. <laughs> He's done. Sorry. No problem. <laughs> uh, yes, a blog post. Yes. <laughs> about um, basically, com- uh, internet reviewers on on uh, creator owned books. Yeah. And why don't? Yeah, it, and, and I yeah. posted sort of a response to that. So why don't you, in your words, tell me what what you wrote and, and what it was about? Well, it's. In fairness, it's kind of the whole discussion kind of evolved from the initial initial post, um, and a couple of weeks later, it's 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 there's been a thread on my message board on the on the Image Comics site that um, has kind of continued the conversation, and um, it, it's almost hard to encapsulate what the initial point was, just because I you know it's just a just a blog post that suddenly uh, caught the attention of a lot of people. So I started hearing from, um, you know, I heard from the Around Comics guys and John Suntress and all these guys, and uh, everybody had their own interpretation of kind of what I was saying. The the only point I was making, um, and one of the misconceptions about, you know, people that have have seen the the original comment was that I was responding or I was mad about a, a bad review of one of my books. The first thing I want to reiterate is that's not true at all. I mean, Generally speaking, um, I think I think reviewers do tend to give Indian alternative comics a little more of a pass than mainstream comics. So, in some sense, maybe it's not fair to attack the bad reviews. But what had gotten to me was a couple reviews I read of um, creator-owned books that it wasn't. The negative reviews were couched in absolute terms, sort of, sort of um, making value determinations. This is good. This is bad. You know, and in generally really snarky tones, um, which which the internet thrives on. And, and my first impression is just that I think that really adds to this sort of pervasive atmosphere of cynicism that just seems to be all over um, the internet and fandom. And um, you know, the the most. The most obvious place you see that is is in the new Newsarama talkback sections, which are just often depressing when when guys are on there trying to, you know, guys are on there trying to promote work that they've busted their tails on, and you've got you know anonymous guys uh, who have access to the internet just tearing them apart. And in a lot of ways, that's what most online reviewers are are just guys with access to the internet. And my first my first. The first thing that caught my eye, and it might have even been an, an something you guys had posted about reviewing the Mark Millar Fantastic Four. Um, I don't know if it was you guys or it was, it was it was a podcast that I'd seen a little announcement to. And I just made the comment that I thought it was completely pointless to review Mark Miller's Fantastic Four in terms of trying to recommend it or not to people. Because that's a book – I'm going to say 99.9% of the people who bought the book knew they were going to buy it when they heard it was announced. And so sometimes I wonder why there, when there's so much focus on mainstream reviews – I don't see how they could possibly influence buying decisions. I wonder often what the purpose of those reviews are. Well, I mean, for, for, I mean, from our point of view, the reason you know, it's if for, for us, it's fun to uh, sort of analyze those things when they come out. This is obviously Mark Miller does you know Fantastic Four with Brian Hitch, and it's a big deal book. Sure. I don't know if everybody buys it right away. I think that there are a lot of people out there who get curious about it. And that's where like shows like us or, or around comics or, or comic geeks or whoever, you know, hey, it's fun to talk about. And it's one sure. of those things that after it comes out, there's usually a lot of argument about whether it was any good or not. It, well, I mean, let, me, let, let, me, let me say this. I don't – I think podcasts are a great place for discussion of things like that. You know, if there's a general discussion, somebody enjoyed it, somebody didn't enjoy it, that's – you know, that's – you've got give and take in that circumstance. I just – I read these reviews, you know, posted reviews and, and, I, and I just – 
I always kind of wonder what the what the purpose of them are. Do you mean like message effect. board posts or like? No, no, no. I mean, I mean like review columnists. Right. I mean, like where, where you'll review something online. Um, you know, I mean, that's fine. I can't I can't criticize someone for reviewing something. My my point is just. Most of the reviews you see online are about mainstream books that people are going to buy or they're not going to buy, regardless of what you tell them about the book. And, and in that instance, you know, I'm not sure what the real purpose is. When I see creator-owned reviews of creator-owned books or small press books, what what really gets to me is when I see a book that somebody decided to publish, somebody put their heart and soul into that they are satisfied with and the publisher is satisfied with and some fans are going to enjoy. And then some snarky anonymous guy who has access to a website that may or may not got a lot of traffic dismisses it with, you know, maybe it's something that just isn't his cup of tea. Um, and, 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 and I have no problem in the world with someone saying, you know, this just didn't work for me. Here's what the book's about. It may work for you because it's going to work for somebody. So when I read a guy like Hannibal Taboo on, uh, on CBR, you know, with his comics. First of all, he's got a designation that are comics that are good enough to read, but not good enough to buy. Well, what does that mean? You know, that just that that alone drives me crazy because he's saying one of two things: go to your shop, stand there and read it, or download it illegally and read it. But it's not worth your time to spend money on this on on someone's work. You know, I mean, it's just to me, there's just a whole kind of um, attitude that's reflected in these reviews that that is overly dismissive of work that may or may not appeal to you based on on an aesthetic judgment you're making that doesn't have any basis in fact it's just you know it's just an opinion based based judgment but is, isn't it, it possible that a, that a creator owned book or something like that can i mean you can you can review things <laughs> semi objectively i mean you can there sure. there are there are you know elements of storytelling and elements of of making good comic books that I mean, for me, I'm thinking when you put a creator owned book out there you you're you're putting it into the world you know come hell or high water. And it's almost like it's it's kind of up to the audience to decide which which reviewers they're going to give credence to. Sure, sure, absolutely, and 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 it's and it probably sounds um, elitist of me to assume that that people who are reading reviews aren't smart enough to determine whether you know the review is of any use to them. But I but I I tend to think you know a lot of these I know some sites that get big get a lot of hits. And the reviews are just very dismissive and snarky and smart-assed and what have you. And, and I don't think anyone's reading those reviews uh, to see what you know to, to get recommendations or to see positive reviews. I think there is this sort of um, Schadenfreude where people just really enjoy seeing someone take it to someone who um, has <clears throat> maybe a higher profile than they think they deserve. Or yeah, you know, I mean, I mean, there are books that I, I personally think are absolutely abysmal. But for me. They, they, don't, they don't match my sensibilities. And, and I could sit there and I could say, well, the storytelling sucks, the anatomy sucks, the drawing sucks, or it's photo traced or whatever and complain about it. But I also understand there's an audience out there for that. And so all it does is just introduces an element of negativity and cynicism if I go out there and trounce something um, and proclaim it a bad piece of work. You know what I'm saying? But isn't and, that just a bad review? I mean, isn't I mean? You mean you mean a bad review in terms of a badly written review? I, I suppose. I mean, if it's if it's coming off as most of as, them are badly written. <laughs> this is true, but I mean, then it becomes it is the responsibility of the readers, and and <laughs> when you when you're throwing work out there, I, I mean, I guess you just you'd have to deal with it. Oh yeah, well, I'm, and, and this is the other thing is I'm not I'm not overly. Sen- I mean, I guess if I read a bad review of one of my books, a book where somebody didn't like the book, you know, I'll be disappointed, but but I want to know. I, I would like to know what what about it didn't appeal to them personally. And very often, I can read a bad review of one of my books, and it doesn't bother me at all because I understand that this book wasn't for this person. You know, I mean, I write a lot of books. My creator-owned books are generally not for people who are completely devoted to big superhero epics, for instance. You know, I mean, Hawaiian Dick is a '50s noir detective story set in Hawaii. Well, if if your frame of reference doesn't extend beyond uh, you know, mutant superhero books or whatever. It's probably not your cup of tea. And I don't even want to read your review of the book because, you know, it doesn't add anything constructive from my point of view if somebody who the book was just completely not intended for rips it to shreds because he doesn't dig it. That's one of my points, you know. But do you think um, that anybody who would probably give any credence to that kind of review probably wouldn't read the book anyway? And so you're not really any worse off than you were. Well, no, I, I agree completely. I don't think reviews make one bit of difference in terms of buying or, or selling. I think, I think, but I, and the only problem I have in that regard is just the fact that it adds this tone of negativity, which I really think, I mean, they're just, 
you know, and I, and I went by your message board and, and I was actually impressed by the tone of a lot of the messages. Um, you, you know, you had done your editorial about, about my, my comment. And by the time I got there, there were 30 some comments and, you know, there were some knee jerk reactionary, you know, this guy's an idiot, you know, but, but there was also a lot of kind of, you know, thoughtful consideration of, of what you had said about what I had said. And, and so, you know, maybe I needed to spend more time finding the niches on the internet where this this cynicism and negativity doesn't take hold all the time. Do you time, think but... maybe you ascribe the, the personality of your what you think is the average Newsarama poster to, you know, like the larger... I mean, because well, in my I... head, I, the person on the internet reading and writing about comic books is, you know, my first thought is that he's an evil little troll. But the fact is, that's probably not everybody. Those are just the loudest people. No, and that's why some companies don't pay a bit of attention to internet press um, because because what it has turned into to a large degree is a really easy access forum for bitter, angry people to rant. And people who are satisfied and happy with things don't feel like they need to throw their voice out there and prove something by telling everyone what they think, you know. So when some jerk is posting on Newsarama, well, I'm going to pass on this book. I mean, who cares if you're going to pass on a comic book? I mean, you know, what what – possible purpose could you have to let everyone know that you who nobody you know you're just you're just going to ignore this work well that's fine you know somebody who is going to pick it up and enjoy it is probably just going to go pick it up and enjoy it you know they don't feel the need to express themselves and let everyone know they're out there screaming into the void so so yeah in that regard it is easy to just sort of mistake the the, the the angry voices for some kind of a a, a majority or, or or large percentage of the readership when that's obviously not true. Well, I mean, um, you know, and I can say from our experiences, I mean, our our website and community and podcast and all this stuff are based strongly around review. And how it works is, I mean, we sort of set the tone by by how reviews are. And we have every book that comes out any week, you, anybody can write a review on. Right. Um, you know, and I've we found that that you know people will take those. You know, they they will buy books based on it, or they will, you know, sure. they will not buy books based on it too. And and it's not. I mean, I've I've been forever impressed by the people who come to our website, um, yeah. and and some of the even like uh, the around comics guys. I also you know because I've been around their their stuff too. Like they're thoughtful people, you know. But right. sure. even when you look at Image Comics or Oni, Com- they're putting out a lot of product, and yes. there is to me a need to to. You know, say which one, you know, like, well, this one worked for me because of this or this one didn't because of this. Or, I mean, I, I feel like even though they are creator owned books, they, they're they're uh, they're they're susceptible to the same amount of criticism as anything else. And, and granted, right. it is not well, as much fun as bashing on a, a huge book that came out from Marvel that wasn't. <laughs> see, that's good. it right there. It's fun. See, <laughs> um, well, no. And, and, and but and my point, my point about Hawaiian Dick and, and I, I made the mistake of saying it was above negative criticism. What I meant by that was. You know, I'll take constructive criticism and, and and put it into the you know put put it into the into the mix and consider it. But but I don't want to. But if you tell me that the book is bad, I, I you're wrong <laughs> because the book did what I wanted the book to do. The readers who who relate to the book, you know, enjoy the book well enough. And and you know, and, I, and I'm also not out here trying to. I'm not looking to capture fifty thousand readers with this this book. Um, I couldn't do the good book I wanted to do and try to capture 50,000 readers um, in comics. I mean, I think there's a bigger audience for Hawaiian Dick in the world at large than there is for Final Crisis. But people don't know where to find comic books. Right. They don't know they exist, you know, so that's a whole different discussion. But but I guess I guess that's the thing is, is you get a little disheartened when you hear people dismiss things based on their own personal criteria and ascribe value judgments, which is the good-bad scale. You know, this art is bad. This art is good. I mean, I – you know, I see artists who I think are just phenomenal, who the art community that I hang out with think are phenomenal, uh, you know, dismissed out of hand by guys who love guys who just trace photographs all the time, you know. And it, and it gets really frustrating to hear them place these good, bad value judgments on it instead of just saying, you know what, here's why this doesn't appeal to me. And, and obviously the, the consideration there is just the fact that so many of these reviews are either not well written or, um, you know, aren't, aren't really – guiding people they're just sort of you know expressing a, a, a thumbs up or thumbs down personal mm-hmm. opinion as fact so do you think that there's a place for, for comic reviews on the web um sure but i, I do think uh, i mean yeah I, I, what i what, you know if it was a perfect world and it's not and, and that's the other thing i mean i need to obviously i need to understand that 
most people reading comics don't read any image comics. They don't read any Oni comics. They don't read any slave labor drawn in quarterly. Most comic readers don't read any books by anyone but Marvel and DC. I mean, a huge percentage of comic readers only read those books. That's something I don't think a lot of people even think about. So, so you know, maybe my problem is that is that I'm expecting the streams to cross more than they should, you know. Um, if a guy goes and spends $50 a week on Marvel and DC Comics, is it really going to do any good to start telling him about, um, you know, a book, a, a slice-of-life book from, from Drawn and Quarterly or, or uh, I'm sorry, baby crying, or, or a horror comic from, from Image? Um, I, I would like to think that that most readers of independent comics got their feet wet in in mainstream comics and then crossed over, and I'd like to see more of that. So there's, there's, there's definitely, I mean, again, like our experience is there's definitely, I mean, because one of the things that we, that we try to do is is we, you know, we're all superhero comic book readers. We read them, they come sure. out, whatever. But sure. you know, I can tell you from there, from there, we got a lot of people to read Invincible, and then a right. lot of those people read The Walking Dead, and then all of a sudden they're on to reading stuff from Top Shelf and things like that. Like, it's well, I like totally to. I like. I like to think that's how it works. It yeah. does. I swear, yeah. you've yeah. just got to yeah. find a way to do it. Yeah. Basically, I want more people to watch our show. But but if you're doing a review and you review Final Crisis and Civil War, Invasion, Scroll, Fest, whatever, um, and and Flash and blah blah blah. I mean, I, it's I can't sit here and criticize you guys for focusing on what you dig and what you think your readership digs. Um, obviously, I would love to see. I think it does more good for the industry if people spend more time reviewing stuff that sells thirty five hundred copies or four thousand copies. That's that's every bit as good as something selling seventy five thousand copies in in terms of in terms of the enjoyment that somebody could get out of the book. But that's not really the point. I mean, the, the point isn't to try to sell books. It's to try to help people discern one way or the other. It's to find. Well, I think I think the point should and 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 sure and and, and everybody has their own. You know, is to fi- help people find good comics. And for me, I've got to say, you know, a comic book is a comic book is a comic book. In, yeah. in a way, that's true. I mean, you know, a lot of the guys who are working on indie books, you know, you yourself, you're, you're doing books for DC, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah. It, it, you know, a good story is a good story, I guess. So, you know, in that way, everything is sort of equal. The sales, you know, the market being different, you know, a different sure. sort of a different issue. Sure. I mean, theoretically. Uh, <laughs> what, what, have you posted reviews on your site recently or, or um, I mean, you know, do you have on your front page, don't you have like reviews on your front page there? Oh, user reviews are featured on the okay, front page. Okay, user reviews, okay. And so, yeah. I mean, what it is is it works. You go to ifanboy.com slash comics. Um, right. I'm totally not trying to advertise this site right now. No, 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 no. I just, I don't want to, I don't want to pull it up on my computer because it'll, yeah, I don't yeah. want to screw up my connection here. If, but, you, if you go on uh, there, uh, anybody can pull a book and then you can write a review or rate that book. Yeah. You know, the, yeah. any, for any book, so the, everything sure. comes out. I mean, obviously, most of them are going to be, you know, the Marvel DC books because yeah. the other thing is those are the ones that people have a probably more passionate connection to. Right, because at this point in time, it seems like the overwhelming majority of the readership is only concerned with a book that's going to have earth-shattering impact on the universe at large, which mm-hmm. which is a whole different issue. But, um, um, you know, as, as someone who doesn't have a whole lot of interest in writing those books, it does get a little frustrating because you realize that in reality, a, a I mean, obviously everything's subjective, but a really badly written and drawn event book is going to do triple the sales of what you think is a really well drawn and written, say, smaller superhero book. How is that different in, than any other media in movies or, or whatever? Well, the difference is that in other media, the pie is so much larger that it's possible to make a dent with a smaller. I mean, so a movie like Juno, whether you love the movie or not, uh, as a comic book, that would die a slow and painful death. You know, that would sell about fifteen hundred copies, maybe get a, an Eisner nomination, and and and. Uh, and have the publisher doing their best to sell it to bookstores because the comic book market had ignored it. Um, but but there's always the potential in other media for a breakout hit. Um, cable television, you know, HBO shows, those would die as comic books. Scalped is probably as good a comic book as there is in the market right now. The last sales figures I saw had it hovering around 7,500 copies. Well, if you put if you put the equivalent of that on a on a network like HBO, it's going to sell. You know, it's going to be viewed by. You know, a pretty large viewership. It's going to win industry awards. It's going to sell a ton of DVDs. So there is a difference, I think. Um, well, I mean, it's it's scalable. I mean, if you look at like sort of the, the it is scalable. I understand the, it's scalable. I mean, yeah, I, but the risk that you have in putting out a comic book is much less than the one that you you know you're hiring a crew and buying film or whatever. I mean, it's all 
relative. Well, in terms in, in terms of, I mean, re, you say that, but I'm not sure that's necessarily true. If you're Jason Aaron and you're spending, um, you, you know, your 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 time and effort putting together, uh, sp- spending two weeks out of the month, say, putting together a book that's not going to bring you a return commiserate with, say, the quality or the effort you've put into, then it is a risk. You know, well, I mean, it's it's, it's, it's a much bigger risk for the individuals involved than it is for people throwing crap on TV and moving on to the next project. I mean, but that, I mean that that to me seems like it's the same in any sort of media. There's there's the mainstream stuff that's the biggest. You know, the biggest thing on TVs, dancing right. with whoever. You know, you know where. Uh, you know, but what about what about but what about a show like Lost? You know, I mean, um, you know, it's 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 hard for me to believe something equivalent. You know, you look at the most successful shows on television, and you know, prior to something like the arrival of Lost, and then you throw a complete. Um, you know, a different animal into the mix in a, in a show like Lost, and it and it turns into a huge success. It's hard to find any examples similar to that in comics. Well, um, I mean, the, the success doesn't have to be as big, but I can tell you, you know, personally, I've met guys who do indie comics. They've never done a mainstream book in their life, and they're doing. Where really have you well. found these people? I've. <laughs> <laughs> it is not my place to say, but like you can. There's like it seems like there's this certain level you can get to, and all of a sudden you're making a living, and you're you're talking to a guy who, who you know puts out a book six times a year, and, and it's a creator on book, and, and he's making a living from that, and he's doing the thing he loves, and you know I just it's possible. Mm, yeah, it is possible, but it doesn't happen very often. But again, and that's not and that's not to bl- there's nobody to blame for that. It's just this that's part of a larger discussion about this the fact that the market is shrinking, and and um and and when it's not shrinking, it's expanding into a mainstream direction. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I mean, you know, the, and it's not fair. I don't want to sit here and pretend like I'm – I'm not attacking readers or reviewers or anybody like that. There's a larger problem in terms of the entire market that doesn't allow for creator-owned books to, to gain a foothold. And, 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 and people will say, you know, retailers will say and fans will say, well, it's up to you as the creator to figure out how to make that happen. And, and that's probably fair comment uh, in an era when, um, you know, a good independent book is lucky to sell 5,000 copies. Um, so, you know, you guys, The Invincible and The Walking Dead are great examples, but those are the rarest examples in all of comics. Mm-hmm. The Walking Dead is a completely singular animal. There's nothing else um, com- comparable to what The Walking Dead has done. Uh, and now, when I was working for Image full-time and as an Image creator, we spent a whole lot of time going, geez, how can we do what The Walking Dead did? And there's really no way to quantify the formula and make it work, um, obviously, or else – uh, everybody would be would be doing it, maybe it's but just, um, maybe it's just harder to make an independent, successful comic. I mean, like, you well, it is absolutely have all of the things that get together and yeah, you, you, yeah. I mean, it, the Walking Dead is the Walking Dead is a fascinating. I mean, that I don't even think people understand what a phenomenon the Walking Dead is. And in terms of, in, in equivalent terms, that's a much larger success than anything like Final Crisis or Civil right. War or that, just because of where it started, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but and, and you don't have. I mean, there's, I can't imagine there's a whole lot of overhead in a, you know, it's like when that no. book starts to do well, right. everybody's happy because there's right. not that many people involved. Right. And, and, um, yeah. And, and, and ideally, I mean, that's, that's the perfect image model right there. You know, you, you own your material, you make the money off it if it sells. And there's a book that sells over 20,000 copies every month. They've sold about a hundred thousand copies of the first trade. And if you look at the top 100 trades every month, the first trade will be on there. And, and um, you know, it's, it's, it's a self-sustaining uh, product. You know, that's what you want to get to. It's just, it's, uh, it's a long haul. You know, it's, it's hard to do. And, and full credit to Kirkman for making it work and, and, and then going over to Marvel and making sure that he still had The Walking Dead and Invincible working and everything. So that's, that's the other thing I think we need to see more of. And, again, you know, you can't really blame creators for doing anything that's going to bring them success. But it's nice to see a guy like Robert make sure that he wasn't going to lose touch with his image roots and his own material when he went over to Marvel and started doing mm-hmm. books over there. Uh, I think too often we see guys have a lot of success in the mainstream. And as readers, I feel like we lose out when guys turn their entire focus to Spider-Man or Superman or, you know, whatever. Mm-hmm. Um because I always believe that the best work from a really talented creator is, is almost always going to be something of his own conception above a superhero book. Um, and that's not to say there aren't great superhero books out there. But, like, I'm always going to prefer Matt Fraction's Casanova over what I think is a fantastic job on Iron Man or um, Iron Fist with Brubaker. Uh, so Matt is sacrificing to make sure that he can keep doing Casanova because I think he gets his – you know, he satisfies his creative Jones doing that book, and it's almost too much to ask him to keep doing that if it's not making him money when he's doing something else. But 
I just appreciate the fact that he, you know, he, he still places enough value on his own material to do that. Warren Ellis, another great example. Mm-hmm. Um, well, they, yeah. I mean, for me, he's a guy who really like his love. I, I love the stuff that he does on his own. Yeah. And yeah. A, I mean, to be honest, a lot of the stuff that he does for the companies, I'm like, there's no love in this. I can't, you know, I can't, it's not yeah. there. Um, well, I, yeah, and, and you know, and like like Bendis clearly loves what he started doing. You know, he'd done his own thing for a while, and granted, he did keep Powers going, but he clearly has the love for the. I, I can't begrudge Bendis for yeah. throwing himself into the superhero books because he clearly loves doing those books. And yeah, he would be my example of a guy who who going into mainstream <laughs> like is just putting everything into that as well. Right. Um, I don't think there's anything better than Powers, but he's come close. I think. Sure. You know, his Spider-Man yeah. work. Yeah. Well, Warren Warren is the kind of the for me is the. Um, is the the flagship creator in terms of of the way I would I would love to see more guys handle their careers and in the way I, I would try to pattern my own career after on a much much smaller level at this point. But mm-hmm. you know he'll 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 do some intri- I, I think his his creator or his superhero stuff and his his company stuff is tends it's always a little more inventive than the norm and sometimes it's it's really effective stuff. But he, he has never abandoned you know the the third stream you know the. Uh, the independent stuff and stuff like Fell, which I think is is as good as anything Marvel or DC does. Yeah. Um, so um, I just admire that, and I think it shows that it can be done, um, and you can still be successful um, without having to sacrifice, you know, all of your creative juices or whatever. Mm-hmm. Something. Do like you that. think that overall? Uh, I mean, the internet has to be helpful to, on the whole, to to uh, an indie to a creator own book. I mean, it sure. has to be better than it was without it. Um, yeah, you, you were at Image when 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 The Walking Dead was taking. I, I mean, I can't imagine that sort of the word of mouth on something could spread like that. You know. Yeah, you know, though I'm not. I, I think you think that, but um, you know, I, I mean, I, I guess so. Um, but but you tend to see the internet react to success rather than create success. Um, I think that's uh, it's 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 like um, it's like the book market. Um, well, it's it's that's a bad analogy, but. <laughs> I was going to say that you know the book market knows what they want and they'll they'll promote and respond to something that's already a success in a different market. They don't create a lot of successes on their own. Well, I think to a large degree, you know, the first Walking Dead issue probably solicited around seventy five hundred copies or something, and it and it it sold out and, and there was a lot of good word of mouth. But most of the good word of mouth, I think, was at the ground level. You know, um, a, a store would sell all ten copies they bought. And it's there, and all they're concerned about, all the retailers concerned about, is what his customers are interested in. He doesn't care what some guy in Provo, Utah, is talking about if he's in, if he's in Miami, you know. Mm-hmm. So he sells ten copies. Uh, you know, he's hand sold it. His readers have, have enjoyed it, and he reorders the book. And if it's if the book has caught the right zeitgeist or whatever, and and has attracted um, the right attention, then that's going to happen all over the place. And really, I think that's what happens more than the internet. Spreading the word. I think that, and, that brush uh, fire starts on the internet, at least to some I, extent. I, you know, I I think less than you think. I think in the case of The Walking Dead, I don't think so. I mean, what, what did the I internet mean, do to you? <laughs> no, the internet's been great. You know, I you know I spend way too much time on the internet arguing and promoting and uh, you know um, complaining about reviewers and then posting good reviews. I mean, you know, I'm, <laughs> but uh, um, yeah, I handled PR for Image for a year, and I spent a ton of time trying to you know trying to work the internet for. For what it's worth, I'm just I'm just saying. Ultimately, we're talking about something that 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 people take away from a computer and sit with on their lap or or in the bathroom and read, and then they go into their shop where they had to buy it and talk to them about it, and and that's where it has to succeed. We can't just have stuff, um, you know, we can't talk about how great stuff is and, and increase sales because you'll see a ton of stuff get a lot of coverage on the internet and great reviews, and then you go look at the numbers and you're like, wow, there's absolutely no real world reaction to the buzz this thing is getting online and retailers and it's because retailers aren't going to order stuff based on anything other than what they can sell in their shops to their existing customers so um i I, I mean like i just i feel like indie indie comics especially or even all comics are just they're beholden to this weird system of ordering three months ahead of time and uh that's what matters and it's just like everything is just yeah, well, that's, that's the distribution failure. system. There's another. That's another discussion. <laughs> I, well, I know, but it's like it just that's one more thing. You know, I go into my local store here. You know, I'm in New York City, but I live in Queens, so I go into that local store. And I'm like, do you have Fear Agent? No, no one buys it. And I was like, seriously? 
Well, of course, no one buys it if you don't have it. I know. Exactly. (laughs) Well, I had it for a while. But like – so there's still those those kind of retailers are the same thing as a bad kind of internet reviewer, I suppose. But on the flip side, again – and trust me, I've had great relationships with retailers and horrible relationships with retailers. And and I've probably – you know, I'm too hard on guys who are really ultimately only responsible to themselves. You know, that's that's the problem is that that if a retailer – can sell 50 copies of, you know, whatever Death Wish Final Crisis comic book comes out, and, and they know they can do that. Well, they're going to put 50 copies on the shelf. If they know that they have to bust their tail to sell five copies of Fear Agent, well, why not just order an extra five copies of Final Crisis? You know what I'm saying? I mean, I mean, I can understand the thinking in a lot of regards, especially with so much material out there. It's, it's hard to grab a retailer by the throat and say, look, this is a great book you're not selling when he's got to worry about selling – 200 other books that month, you know? Um, so, so in that regard, you know, a lot of it's just down to the, to the way the system works and, and the distribution system we have now is what we have. So you either have to figure out how to make it work or, or get out of the business. I mean, as, as, as a creator, as a, you know, as a, hell as a reader. I mean, um, where I draw exception is when, is when people can't find books at their shops and, and, a lot of retailers have a real resistance to people like to creators promoting online sales and things like that. Well, most communities are not serviced by a good comic book shop in this country. And people in New York and people in Los Angeles, people in San Francisco, Chicago, they don't understand this, but there are cities with 300, 500,000 people that don't have comic shop access. Or if they do, it's it's, you know, it's not a it's not a, a guy who's tuned in or who's going to reorder stuff or what have you. I think retailers too often think you're trying to circumvent the existing system, existing system when you try to find new channels of distribution. But the fact of the matter is, most people in America couldn't just go five minutes away and pick up Hawaiian Dick or Fear Agent or what have you. So what, you know, so the only other option is to try to generate sales through other avenues. And I personally believe that the more we sell stuff in other avenues, the more it helps comic shops. So. I mean, the easiest thing to do for people would be to get up and go to the local comic shop. If that's not a good option, then right. why, why not find a different way? So I, I mean. Yeah, I, I mean, yeah. the thing is, they kind of I, the industry. It, the problem is, the industry tears itself apart with all these discussions, and, yeah. and there's no, you know, there's they, everybody talks about partnership, but everybody also thinks everybody else is out to stab them in the back in the name of making money, or what have you. So there's there's a lot of anim- animosity at the retail. Not, and I'm not blaming retailers for this. I'm mm-hmm. saying between publishers, retailers, um, and the lines of communication, you know, if, if people just if you're a creator and you or a publisher and you have the, the chance to open dialogues with guys that you think are doing their job effectively in terms of retailing, then spend a whole lot of time talking to those guys a whole lot. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and don't let the guys who who attack you for the way you market yourself or your handle, handle yourself determine everything you do. I, the one lesson I learned as the PR head at Image was the best guys in retailing who knew what they were doing, did great business, sold good books, weren't the guys you heard the most noise out of online or here or there because they were too busy doing their jobs. Mm. Um, and, and so I, the one thing I did do was forge some good relationships with guys um, that I've taken into my – as a creator, I, I can ask these guys questions. I can lean on them for advice. Um, the, the recently deceased Roy Root is a great example of that. Um, and, and so, you know, I, just – I think communication throughout the industry is the key to helping everything improve. And we're way – I know we've traveled way off topic here, but yeah. it's all kind of related, I guess. Yeah, it, it, no, it, it totally is. And, and you know, that's – it's all about trying to find a way to get more people to buy Scalped, really, at the end of the day. Well, yeah. Do you read Scalped? Scalped was the pick of the week this last week. Okay. Okay. Scalped well, there you go. Time. Yeah. No, we've, yeah, we've Jason, definitely been on it. Jason's one of the – we've got a pretty good community of creators in Kansas City, and so Jason Aaron is one of our – he's one of our Kansas City guys. Um, what Tony Moore refers to as the Midwest Mafia um, here in Kansas City. So yeah, that's Fraction. Cool. <laughs> fraction. No, it's not. That's Tony, though. Um, but it's uh, you know Tony Moore, Matt Fraction, Jason Aaron. Um, there's uh, Harold Sipe and Hector Casanova called Screamlanded Image now. That's fantastic. They're, they're, they're local guys. Uh, Jeremy Hahn is just down the road. Jai Nitz is in Lawrence. Andy Parks is out here. So we've, we've got a good community here in Kansas City. Well, let me ask you. I mean, you your first work was, was I guess, Hawaiian Dick, per, first pro work published in 2000? Um, it was my first. Bef- prior to that, the only thing I – the way I kind of got into the industry is um, – Jay Torres was a friend of mine, mm-hmm. and he was – at the time, he had done a book called Copybook Tales at Slave Labor Graphics and was pitching them an anthology called Love and Tights, um, which was a superhero romance anthology using independent creators. And he had asked me about contributing to it. 
um, and somehow I ended up basically editing the book, which at the time, this would have been like 98, 99, um, meant tracking down independent creators to get work in on time in whatever file formats they could give me, which which even though it was only, you know, nine years ago or whatever, things were not nearly as uniform and there weren't, you know, it wasn't as easy to share. So I'd get photocopies, I'd get, you know, zip files, I'd get zip disks and what have you. And so we did about, I guess we did six issues of that in about a year and a half. Um, didn't sell much, but it did sort of open the door in terms of, you know, I could see how the industry worked. And and uh, then I watched Jay start working with Image and, and Oni, and, and I got to know those guys. So, so I did, Hawaiian Dick kind of, I already kind of knew how the how the business worked when right. I got in with Hawaiian Dick. But, what um, were you so doing yeah. before that? Where did you come from? <laughs> um, I was um, well. I, I was actually working in sales, um, and I was uh, I was a journalism major in college, and, and never and just knew I didn't want to handle journalism. And uh, came out, you know, in the mid '90s, it was hard enough to find a job doing anything. So I took a job doing sales and spent all my time at work just kind of writing for fun, writing for fanzines. Mm-hmm. And uh, Jay and I got to know each other through um, an, an APA. Uh, which I, which barely exists anymore, but basically it's a collective of fanzine fans, um, uh, bi-monthly, and um, a few different people kind of rolled through. Actually, Jeremy Hahn, who I've collaborated with a bunch, a couple years after I left the the app, I joined as a fan, and um, I, I uh, got to know a few people that way. Jay Torres and I kind of got to know that way. We got to become closer at conventions and stuff and as he was kind of working his way in he always knew that he wanted to do this mm-hmm. and i hadn't you know i i hadn't pursued it i had been into comic strips i did a comic strip in college i'd thought about trying to pursue that and um you know jay was the first guy to ever say well have you ever thought about like when i was complaining about money at a job or doing this or how much i hated selling food or whatever he said well have you ever considered writing comics for a living <laughs> which i know a lot of people it just sounds like well sure but you know it was the first time I thought, well, shit, I guess there's a way to pursue it. Um, and, um, you know, and early on I kind of had my own – I knew that like with Hawaiian Dick I wanted to do um, – I, I wanted to take my time and put together what I thought was really cool mm-hmm. and not consider in any regard the marketplace or what was hot or what was you know popular. And, and I thought that would be the best entree into kind of the, the industry at large. Mm-hmm. And, and, and I got to say it, it, it turned out exactly that way. Um, Stephen Griffin and I spent time putting the book together and uh, sold fairly well right off the bat. Um, sales have decreased since then because of the market and because we could never get the book out on time. But it, it made a splash, you know. I mean, Stephen was nominated for industry awards right off the bat. The book got a lot of coverage in places like Entertainment Weekly, and um, you know, we've been covered in the New York Times. And and before the book was even out, I had Hollywood producers calling me and stuff. So uh, I developed a relationship with Eric Stevenson and Image based on his love of the book um, and just kind of found myself in the thick of everything uh, with doors open here. And, and that's why I always give people that advice, you know, instead of trying to calculate and figure out what's what people want to see, if you really have creative vision, do your own thing. And, um, you know, that's ultimately what I think is going to convince people you can work in the industry. Casanova is a great example of that with Fraction. That's not a book that is going to appeal to everybody, but most people that saw that book recognized um, the spark of creativity and intellect that Matt had, and, and that I think helped lead to everything else. So, so um, there's your long answer to a short question. No, it's, 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 I mean, like you know, it's, it's no secret that that of all the people who aren't bad internet reviewers, the rest of them all want to be comic book creators, <laughs> yes. right? And that, and that's also why there are a lot of bad reviews, is because there's a whole lot of man, I could do better than this out there. But no, uh, totally. Uh, so, well, what, what point did you like quit your day job and say this is what I'm doing, or was that when you? Well, I, for I, um, yeah, I, two th- Hawaiian Day came out at the end of 2002, and um, I actually, it's a long story, but I was I was doing a job while I was talking to Eric Stevenson, and we had talked about self-publishing some books and and promoting them differently um, on our own, and even though he was working as the, he was the marketing coordinator at Image at the time. And then um, Eric Larson replaced Jim Valentino as publisher, and Eric went from marketing coordinator to executive director. Eric Stevenson is basically the guy that runs Image Comics. Um, and he called me up and asked if I wanted to handle the PR from Kansas City while they were out in Orange. 
um, just because we had kind of he had seen the way I promoted Hawaiian Dick, and we had always kind of bounced ideas back and forth. And uh, so I did, and so I spent a year working from home handling PR and marketing while I was writing comics for Image, and it was not a it was not the it just it was hard to work that out. You know, there's a difference in time zone. There's you know, I, I couldn't be face-to-face with Eric Larson ever, which I kind of needed to be. I couldn't afford they, – they moved from Orange to San Francisco, so that didn't help my you – know, I knew I wasn't going to move out to San Francisco and move into a shoebox. Um, so eventually I just um, – I guess at that point I, I, I went completely freelance. I'd made some money on, on um, optioning Hawaiian Dick, um, and we re-optioned Hawaiian Dick. Then Jeremy and I optioned the leading man, and uh, so that was kind of seed money for a while. And, you know, in these days I'm writing, uh, I'm doing something for Top Cow right now. I'm doing a couple things for Wildstorm. I just did some DC stuff. Um, I've got stuff circulating in Hollywood. So it's, you know, it's not, it's not the most secure profession in the world. I mean, you know, I can, I can say if nothing, if no more projects come in right now, then this is how many months I have before I'm, I'm, I'm on the uh, welfare line. But, but, you know, you just have to have faith that, um, that things are going to keep working out and you keep, keep plugging away and keep pitching and, I believe Rick Remender was talking to us. He called it the fear. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, Rick and Rick and yeah, yeah. Rick, Rick's the expr- I don't know. Uh, I don't know what the language quotient is in the show, but but Rick would call me up. Just say whatever. He would just call me up over the top, and he'd be like, "We are grown ass men. What are we doing with our lives?" And <laughs> he's like, "I'm married now. You've got kids." And I'd be like, "I hear you, Rick." You know, I'd get these fist in the air. Pumping phone calls from Rick periodically, although now he's, you know, and Rick's doing fine now. He's, uh, I'm he's seeing just... him Twitter about puppies, so clearly he's been domesticated. <laughs> yeah, I know. I saw that. That's horrifying. Um, <laughs> Rick's, Rick's a guy I'd expect to throw puppies under a bus, but, uh, um, no, Rick's... he wants you to think. <laughs> yeah, I know, I know, I know. He's, yeah, he's the, he's the rebel without a cause. Um, but no, I know, and Rick, Rick's a good example. That's a guy who, um, you know, just, through sheer determination and hard work has, has put himself in a pretty good position. Mm-hmm. And, um, and, and he's also got some talent, which helps, but, uh, but that's secondary to everything else. So. Oh, certainly. Um, but yeah, the fear, exactly. You know, where's my next, um, yeah, where's my next, well, I remember talking to Kirkman one time about, um, when he signed his Marvel exclusive and he's riding high on the walking dead and invincible and he's got, you know, all this stuff coming out and, and he was talking about screenwriting cause he, it was publicized that he was when Invincible was optioned, he was signed to handle the screenplay. And, and I said, "Is that something you want to get into?" And he's like, "Well, hell, in ten years, what am I going to be doing with myself? You know, I got to be doing something, and I don't want to be begging to write the Hulk." And uh, and I thought, "Yeah, well, it's it's good to be prepared, I guess." So that's a damn fine Kirkman, by the way. <laughs> Thank you. Have yeah. you been holding on to that? That's... No, no, no. I am um, I'm renowned for my Kirkman. Wow. He's... Well, I used to talk to him on the phone all the time, so I had it in my ear, you know, and. Um, but yeah, no. Um, Damn, Roberts. <laughs> He's been and on Ro- our show like more than anybody on, on a yeah. video show, and so I was just like, "Whoa, that brought me back." <laughs> no, nah, yeah, Roberts. Um, Robert was Robert was also uh, instrumental in, in a lot of ways in me kind of figuring out where I was headed, just because Robert's a guy who figured out how to work the system when he was about 19 years old, yeah. and uh, and in terms of marketing and this and that, and and he would, you know, when when I was at Image, he'd say things like, like he. I had an idea. What if I solicited an issue? What if I, I shipped an issue of Invincible without soliciting it? You know, and I'm like, that is just the dumbest thing I've ever heard in my life. He's like, I'm going to see what they say about it, you know. And, and, and he'd have enough, uh, enough balls to throw stuff at the wall like that. And, um, uh, you know, The Walking Dead story is a great one where um, he had pitched the book and it wasn't picked up. And um, Jim Valentino was the publisher. And, um, and he had pitched it. With I got a call from Eric Stevenson after the book came out. He goes, yeah, have you read The Walking Dead? And I said, yeah, it's pretty good, first issue. And Eric's like, yeah, Robert had pitched this as um, there's a big alien invasion that's responsible for the zombie virus because Jim Valentino was like, well, it's just a zombie book at that time. Mm-hmm. And uh, so Eric said – so I called Robert up and I said, hey, the first issue is great. Are there any hints about the aliens coming? And Robert said – there are no aliens. <laughs> he said, what do you mean? He goes, man, I just had to tell him something to get the book picked up. <laughs> I was like, that's, that's a guy who's always thinking, you know? So, so yeah, for a long time, I would, I'd come up with what I thought were harebrained schemes, and I'd drop Robert a line, and I'd be like, um, does this sound completely cracked to you? And he'd usually have pretty good advice. I mean, you know, he's just, he's just doing it a wing and a prayer, but, um, you know, he, he at least always had the guts to kind of take a chance on things. So. It's working out. It's doing yeah, he's doing just fine. It's so. working out fine for him. He's he's More he's going to be all right, I think. 
It's one of the one of the one of the image alumnus that we can be proud of. So, wow, that's kind of you, you were there at a pretty cool time. I mean, you're, yeah. I'm sure you're still involved, but that's that's neat. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's why I came. I, Robert and I came on board right around the same time, and, and uh, um, so we were. We kind of when I first met him, he I, I offered him copies of Wine Dick. He said, "No, man, I buy the good stuff." I was like, "Oh, well, that's flattering. Thanks, Robert. Can I have your book now?" But, uh, you know, um, yeah, and Remender's the same way. You know, we all kind of yeah. kicked around learning the ropes through Image. So. Yeah, it's all these sort of names that started popping up three, four years ago. You know, more and more mm-hmm. frequently, um, which is cool. I think it's it's. Yeah. I like that. It's a, there's a whole crop of guys who sort of exist between that between those two levels. Like you yeah. guys will all go on and do and do mainstream stuff, but you know, Rick's got stuff all over the place. You've got stuff, you know, in all different all different ways, and, and that's fun. I mean, that's well, to me, the, that's the main. Healthy. The main thing is we all just wanted to do, like we wanted to. None of us came on board and said, "Man, I can't wait to write the X Men." Mm-hmm. And whether that happens or not, I think we all just kind of wanted to make comics and kind of tell our own stories. And, and that's why I like seeing the fact that guys like Rick and Robert are still doing their own thing while they're making inroads in the in the mainstream. You know, so so uh, what, what you got like a, a whole crap ton of projects then going on? <laughs> yeah, I don't I know how f- you have time to talk to me or um, log on the internet about reviewers, but. Yeah, I pretty much my writing is pretty much just marathon writing sessions when the baby goes to sleep and and um, spend all night trying to hit a deadline. But uh, yeah, I've got um, you know, I, like I said, Hawaiian Dick is we're trying to figure out what we're going to do long term with Hawaiian Dick. Um, that's the book that I get the most satisfaction out of, and it's kind of my my personal, you know, my baby, so to speak. Have and you, and yeah. have you got it planned out for a good long while after this one? Or yeah, but. Um, you know the issue is it, it's it's really tough for Stephen Griffin to to handle all the art on the book, so we we had him scale back. Mm-hmm. And Scott Chandler drew this first story arc with with Stephen handling the color, and then Stephen decided that he was going to also do a backup story that he was going to write, draw, color, letter, ink himself, and do the cover. So our plan to kind of have him take it easy didn't quite work out. So, but but the way I feel about it is at this point, I mean, people I think understand that. Uh, you know, we've tried. We've done everything we could to to get the book out on time and to get stuff done ahead of schedule. But we, we, you know, we we continue to fall behind. And, and there's a part of me, I think the readership has kind of gotten to a point where they understand that if they're a fan of the book, they may wait for it. Um, as much as I hate not to be able to turn out the product on a on a regular monthly basis, I ultimately like I want Stephen's involvement regardless. Um, even if even if for some reason he can't, you know, he can't get something done. Uh, you know, in two weeks, I would rather have the book late and ha- and and I know that makes retailers and people itchy. But you know, you're saying the same thing they said about Civil War. <laughs> it's the same damn story. Yeah, but <laughs> I think their concerns were a little different there. They just see the thing about Civil War is they could crap that out. They knew that was going to sell regardless. So uh, I didn't. I don't. I don't mean they crapped it out. I should. That was. That was not. That was the incorrect phrase. <laughs> kind of crapped out at the end, but I can say that you can't. <laughs> Um, I'm still not sure why the world's smartest men would unleash an untested Thor clone on the world, but um, there are a whole lot of problems. It's a whole other issue, but but no, um, yeah. I mean, I, I know that we're you know we're never going to get rich on the sales of the individual book. I do want to try to figure out a way to, you know, I've been thinking about maybe doing like an original story or an original storyline and just publish it as a trade or a graphic novel instead of doing single issues. Um, you know, I've got somebody right now working on issue eleven. Mm-hmm. But issue seven isn't done, and right. um, you know, and issue six is done. But Stephen's finishing up issue five right now. Um, so it's you know, I mean, it, we're going to get it out there, and there are fans of the book who are really devoted to it. Um, it. You know, God bless them for for having the patience to stick around. But at the same time, I also am aware that long term, I'm always going to have the first trade, the second trade. We've solicited a third trade for August. That stuff is always going to be there. So, you know, someday when somebody who got frustrated trying to wait for the book on a monthly basis in 2004 gets a chance to you know pick up a trade and put it on his bookshelf you know hopefully they'll forget about those frustrations and just have the book uh, mm-hmm. on hand you know i mean i mean ultimately i just want to make sure that it, it exists in some form and and you know and i just got sent a, a really positive review from a from a a writer on a on a book blog uh, that was from yesterday or the day before of the first trade paperback you know so mm-hmm. Uh, you know, obviously, he just discovered it, and hopefully, a few people within that circle, which is different from the comics community, might give it a shot. So, you know, it's always out there, and there are always new people discovering it. So, and if 
some chance we ever make any traction in Hollywood with it, then you know the material will be there too, and more people will discover it. So that's what's cool about the trades. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah, forever. I mean that's yeah, yeah. So and, so ultimately, uh, I just want the work out there. And seventy uh, six is that we gonna seventy six? The, the next issue's out next week. Okay. Um, and um, you know we that's again. One of the hazards of doing a lot of this creator-owned stuff is that we do so much of it ourselves in terms of the production and the lettering and putting it together. And you know, we were we were five issues ahead of schedule or before we even did the first issue. And um, and you know, we've had some circumstances that are going to put us behind the eight ball a little bit for the last three issues. Um, and the other thing is, we've got two separate creative teams working on the book. So um, you know, one story. You know, we have to wait for both stories to get finished before we can do it. So, um, ultimately, again, that's a book that it's it's not selling in the singles all that well, and I knew that it probably wouldn't just because of the subject matter. It's black and white, um, and the two artists, Ty Walker and Ed Tatum, are phenomenal talents, but nobody knows who they are. Um, right. This this is the book that I think ultimately, when it's collected and we and we we put some promotional weight behind collecting the series. Um, I would expect more people to kind of look at what these guys are doing and say, wow, you know, these, these, are, these aren't like emerging talents with potential. These are guys who are already, you know, five issues into it doing um, work that stands on a par with just about anything in the you, industry. you think you'll collect it as, as one volume or you'll keep the two stories together? I actually think we may do two volumes. Mm-hmm. I think we may do – because the way it works, it's an eight-issue miniseries. And my story with Ed is called Jackie Karma, which is set in New York in 76. And then Seth Peck and Ty Walker's story is Cool, which is set in Los Angeles in the 70s. Since it's eight issues, the way it basically works is we end up with two four-issue miniseries worth of material. Mm -hmm. So I think it might make more sense to sort of tie them together but release them separately Mm -hmm. um, and then let the properties kind of stand on their own. Um, And maybe maybe do a preview of – you know, maybe a chapter of – Jackie Carmi in the back of Cool and a chapter of Cool in the back of Jackie Carmi, something like that. Um, but we do plan on really putting together um, – see, one of the things is we're not – there's not like a lot of sales momentum on the book that's pushing us to get a trade out right away. Yeah, sure. So I think we're going to step back and take some time and, and, and put together um, – the, the best packages we can with as much promotion as we can because it is a book that people the people who have actually read the thing really dig it um and and, and you know it's a niche thing it's it's it's, it's a crime book. yeah it's yeah, it's yeah. it's 70s crime action so i mean you know i've seen some reviews of it that 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 um you know i mean i read a review that said i don't really get what's cool about the 70s and i'm like well then stop reading the book because it's you know i mean i think the stories are really cool they don't have to exist in the 70s but at the same time that's part of the vibe of the book you know i mean hopefully you'll you'll um you'll get that so anyway but um yeah i think we may end up doing two trades all right and then i see here you are you're going to work with tony harris yeah that's um and there's not a lot to talk about with that yet but i know that tony has um um, posted. He's got Tony's not like the most internet uh, savvy guy in the world, so he he's got a MySpace page that I don't think anyone knows exists. But he's got a blog on the MySpace page, and he's actually posted some original concept sketches of it, and he's posted the title, which is "The Further Adventures of the Whistling Skull." Um, and I, it's that book's probably obviously he's finishing up War Heroes and Ex Machina. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, I think he finished up his Spider-Man commitment. So we're probably looking at, you know, another year or so down the road. But this is a uh, – without giving a whole lot away, it's got a real pulp feel to it. And it's a project that Tony actually brought to me with kind of the basics in place, uh, knowing that I was – you know, that's kind of a vibe I was into. And we spent a good year just kind of kicking around and hashing it out before we um, before we talked to the, the publisher. Where does that dude find the time? Sorry, yeah, I hit the mute button there. Sorry, um, yeah. <laughs> before we before we actually brought it to a publisher, and um, so we're, we can't, and we're not even really talking about the publisher yet or anything or, or what the plans are for it. But it's um, it's creator own book, and it's you know ultimately we'd love to have a nice healthy run of it. So it's 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 a lot of fun. It's something that even though it's something Tony's had in his you know the basics of in his in his mind for a long time, it's so much up my alley. And and Tony is a guy who's. Starman is sort of one of the seminal influences on everything I do, mm-hmm. um, and so to work with Tony on on a project that's real personal like this has been been kind of a thrill. Yeah. Um, so uh, and and yeah, 
And so that, and then I'm doing a book called Casey Blue Beyond Tomorrow at Wildstorm, the second issue of which came out yesterday, um, which is unrelated to the Wildstorm universe, but it's a crazy kind of um, teenage girl. Um, the story basically opens with this teenage girl visiting her brother downtown and then um, walking into a stranger's apartment and beating him to death with her bare hands. And she's kind of curious why this happened. She doesn't remember doing it, but she knows because she's completely covered in blood that she did do it. Um, and then things start happening around her and she realizes there's a bigger picture involved and um, it turns into a, a much larger sort of science fiction, slightly mystery adventure, um, which I, it may have flown below the, below the radar of a few people, but um, I'm, I'm pretty happy with it. It's, it's, it's a little different than what I'm used to doing. I mean, I don't do a lot of teenage girl stuff, um, aside from the way I dress. And um, the artist is Carlo Bar... <laughs> Carlo Bar... My wife is over here scowling at me. Yeah, you're not going to get past that one, by the way. <laughs> this is not amused at all. Um, it's, it's nice to have a tough audience in the house, though. It makes <laughs> you work harder. Um, Carlo Bar- Barbary is doing the art, um, which is, again, kind of a style I've never really mm-hmm. worked with before. Um but the people who are checking the book out seem to really be into the mystery and kind of digging it. So um, it's six issues to start with, and hopefully it's received well enough that maybe we can sort of expand on her story a little bit. And it just stands on its own as a series outside of the Wildstorm yeah, universe, yeah. so like, yep. like Ex Machina or something like that. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's um, it's a company. It's not a creator-owned book, but I developed it with Ben Abernathy. Um, we, he kind of gave me some ideas, and we developed it together. So, um, but yeah, I mean, I hope people check it out. It's 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 a little different, but it's fun. And then beyond that, I'm, I'm doing a graphic novel at Oni called Billy Smoke, which should be out next year with artist Eric Kim. It's a hitman thing. Um, I just wrapped up the JSA classified arc, which I I. I know it, people think of these stories as just sort of throwaway stories in the middle of these anthology books, but I would really like to encourage people to seek out the JSA classified stuff Ramon and I did. It's a wildcat story that we were kind of given the task of trying to um, tell a story that could act as a springboard for like a future direction for wildcat. And they let me bring Ramon in and he's just a phenomenal artist. Mm-hmm. And I'm, I'm really happy with the way that turned out. And, and I know, and I knew it would get kind of lost in the shuffle because of the, the type of book it is, but um, I've had a lot. I've had so much reaction to that from people who were like JSA or Wildcat fans who were just kind of expecting just another throwaway story. That I, I like to kind of highlight it because I'm I'm extremely ha- happy with the way that one turned out. Um, Dave McCaig did the color, and it's beautiful. Um, and but Bo-, Bo Smith just did this great review of. Um, and Bo Smith has written some Wildcat miniseries here and there, and, and uh, on his uh, Busted Knuckles column, he just he wrote this insanely flattering review of of the the, the story arc and um, and drew some more attention to it. So um, so anyway, I mean, I I know I I don't want to make too big a deal out of a three issue story arc in this larger anthology book, but but I am pretty proud of that, and I would love people who are fans of the Golden Age characters or Wildcat or the JSA to check it out and let me know what they think of it. So. Well, there's, I mean, it, it's always cool to find a gem in a series like that, which is, you know, to be yeah. well, it's, it's sort of, it can times it can be not sensational. So, yeah. like, like everyone's like, oh, there was a really great story in there, and, right. and Wildcat's yeah. a great character, and obviously there's a lot of love for the JSA. So, right. and and the thing about Bo's review that I that I, you know, here I am attacking reviewers, and then I'm promoting reviews. But the thing about Bo's review that that I, I appreciate say anything. <laughs> well, but the thing is, but see, this is where I mean, I get to pick and choose reviews as the creator because I can say, hey, look, this guy responded. I, I've read good reviews of my work that I've dismissed completely because I'm like, you know, the comparisons they make don't make sense. They missed what I was going for. But Bo kind of nailed exactly what we were trying to do with this and responded the way we hoped people would respond. So it was really gratifying to, to see a guy who, you know, I don't have any personal relationship with Bo, but. Um, to see a guy who's written the character and you know uh, is the is the kind of also reader that we hope to connect with really connect with the story uh, is pretty satisfying. So um, that, that's the thing. If you're if you're writing a book and you get positive reviews that that express that, that sort of get what you're going for, then you know that at least on some level you succeeded for those people. And and so that's why it gets disheartening when people who just don't connect with it dismiss it. You know what I mean? That's kind of I think kind of where it all. Where it all comes apart or together, or whatever. And you're, you're still not done with your list of stuff. 
that's coming. Um, oh, what else? Let's see. Blue um, with Seth Peck. Oh yeah, Blue Jacket, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Seth Peck and artist Chris Somney, who just did a fantastic issue of Daredevil. Chris Somney is, is it Somney? Oh. So, it's some, yeah. It's, I mean, that's a guy I, I want to see more and more from. Definitely. Yeah. It's it's again. It's he's one of these guys. It's just a, it's a it's a crying shame he's not doing more and more mainstream stuff so people can see his work. But um, he'll get there. I mean, he's doing. I think he's doing something else for Marvel now. And he just did this Daredevil story with Andy Parks writing. Um, I did, yeah. Just I just actually finished my copy of uh, Truman uh, in Capote in Kansas. Oh, is that not a great book? Did you enjoy the book? Oh, yeah, it was, it was fantastic. And I mean, that, I like. I literally I enjoyed that book a lot more than I did the movie. You yeah, know, you know, yeah. just I didn't really connect with it, but like that was a yeah. gorgeous book. No, yeah, I agree. That was the first thing that Chris really. That's how I got to know Chris because because Andy's a friend, and and Andy had written Union Station at Owning, which I enjoyed. But right. you know, this is one of those cases where I read Capote and Kansas, and I and I it's where you have to tell a friend. Listen, I know I would tell you I like this book even if I really didn't, but I really really like this book. You know, um, I thought that was one of the best. Well, it's one of those things. Every time that I see a, a book that. Is not that is really good, but is not what people think of as a comic book. I get very excited. Right, like here's a yeah. thing that yeah, you, most yeah. people don't know you can do. Yeah, well, and I, and I think um, not to shill a whole bunch, but another book that I don't know if you guys have reviewed much or, or or talked about, but Chris and Brian Hurt are good friends, and and Brian Hurt and Colin Bunn have done the Damned Oni, which I think is the best book on stands right now, mm-hmm. and, the, and the first trade paperback is just just fantastic. Brian Hurt is another guy who's just. He's so much better than almost anybody out there, and I just wish more people could be exposed to the work these guys are doing. But you know, they don't—they don't really fall into easy categories. You know, they're not really working in a—they don't work in styles that are that are necessarily going to hook into the wizard audience. But they're just such such great artists. So, Chris, long let me get back to Blue Jacket. Chris had asked me about doing something together because he'd been doing a lot of like cleaning country, he did an exterminators fill and he did checkmate and he was getting a little tired of doing like these real world based stories. Mm-hmm. But because that's what he had always done, that's kind of how he'd been pigeonholed. Sure. And Seth and I had been kicking around this blue jacket idea, which is kind of like, it's like doc Savage meets Donald Trump kind of, um, um, which actually CBR came up with that. But basically Blue Jacket is an adventurer who's been around for about 70 years, and this corporation has kind of risen around him. So it's sort of taken him out of his original element, which was out in the field kicking butt with his men of adventure. And um, the first larger story we have involves uh, like complications in the business world that forces him to go back out in the field. Um, but uh, we've had this this story idea around for a while and, and some, some concept sketches. And I, and I showed it to Mark Wade. And Mark told me about this Pulp Tales anthology that Boom is doing to benefit Josh Schmedors. And um, he said, you know, I think this would be a perfect place to showcase this because the idea behind the story is it's like you jump in the middle of a Pulp story. Um, and then you either get resolution or just a part of the story and, and then entertain people along the way. And, and he, he thought Blue Jacket had enough of a pulp feel to kind of fit. So, um, you know, we saw Steve Niles and Josh Fyoklov and um, Andy Bees doing the art on Josh's story and Ben Templesmith did the cover. You know, th- these are guys I know and like and, and knew they would do some cool work and it's obviously a, a good cause. Josh was a, a Xenoscope creator and he had back surgery, I think it was? Or, or well, actually he, actually, he was diagnosed with cancer um, and he like a lot of freelancers didn't have any insurance right. and um, pretty pretty serious um, and, and I, I'm not I haven't seen the latest updates on his condition but it was you know potentially life threatening mm-hmm. and um, so the community kind of rallied around him and and um, because so many guys could see themselves in that position um, you know lent a helping hand so we um, you know we when when like I said when Mark told us about the idea that we could um, introduce our character and hang on to all the rights and everything and just let people kind of get a dose of, of Blue Jacket. We decided to, to climb on board and we finished our story and I think it's going to be out in, um, I think, is it August? I think it's it's either July or August. I'm not sure when it's going to be out, but I've, I've seen mm-hmm. most of the book and it's a pretty cool little package. And then and then on top of all this indie stuff, you have a story coming out on Marvel Comics Presents. That's the last thing. Yeah, I oh, that's right. Yeah, I totally forgot about that. Yeah, yeah. I wrote a Stingray story like two years ago. Um, I have no idea who that character is. Stingray? I can't what? think of it. I can't pick. Listen, maybe <laughs> I'm not as big of a comic book nerd as you. Well, they, it's possible. The, the reason I picked Stingray is because at the time I knew he was probably not involved with Civil War and all this other stuff. Um, of course, right after I wrote the story, I started seeing these these like Avengers 
promo ads with Stingray up front. But he's a, he's like a water character. He's got like this this um it, the thing about him is his costume is really cool. He's got like this red and blue or not red and white costume with like kind of water wings and and a and a white mask that he I, you know I don't know he, he was a Submariner villain and he was briefly an Avenger in like the late eighties early nineties um and hadn't been doing a whole lot lately but I've always dug the character um I, I tend to like the obscure characters more than the super popular characters and Warren Simons is the editor and uh, he, he was kind of asking me to pitch some stuff and uh, that was just an idea I pitched it's kind of it's just kind of a fun little throwaway story but um, um, cool. Lee Weeks is doing the art which is pretty cool because he's good. he's awesome and the story looks great and it's you know it's, it's uh, I guess it's out in July uh, I think number 12 Marvel Comics presents number 12 so that's the, up to date that's the only um, Marvel work that I've done that um, Panned out like it was supposed to. So, <laughs> I don't. I haven't really. I, I don't. I haven't really dealt much with Marvel for a while, but um, it'll be kind of fun to see that come out. So, all right. Well, uh, I, I guess people are going to be disappointed we didn't fight. Yeah, I'm sorry. I mean, next sorry. time I'll next time I'll call you names. But Here, uh, I got on. all oiled up, but then you showed up dressed like a teenage girl, and I just couldn't go through. <laughs> Well, I mean, I'm just you know, I'm not. I wasn't looking to pick a fighter or, no. or make waves. I was just you know, I was just grew frustrated with. Um, with with some of the stuff I saw, made a comment, and then a whole bunch of people responded to it. So, um, so, but no, I think it was a good discussion. It was a good chance to kind of chat. And, Very cool. Yeah, I had fun. And people, by the way, I the blog. I don't, you know, I don't like publicize my blog a whole lot. But but if if people want to drop in to the blog, I do update it. It's it's bclaymore uh, dot blogspot dot com, and uh, I have a message board at the Image Comics board too. So I will periodically drop these, you know, knee jerk comments that people can feel free to flame me over on the Bendis board or whatever. So, um, that's some more 3 a.m. rants. Yeah, that's, that's, that's usually about when they come. So, it, works, um, it works out better for all of us. There's a lot more stuff that I start to type and go, what, that would be really stupid, and then delete. <laughs> so, but, uh, I do that a lot. Uh, but, uh, no, but I appreciate you giving me the chance to kind of chat. And and, um, and, uh, and and also, my email address is bclaymore at AOL.com. If anybody wants to drop me a line or comment about anything, I'm, I'm open to, to any mail from people. So anything I'm very accessible. you do to get out of writing all this work. That's right. And I'll be in Chicago next week, too. So Jeremy Hahn and I will be sharing table space uh, back in Artist Alley with uh, close to Mike Norton and some other guys. So come out and say hi and Good tell stuff. me I'm an idiot. All right. Well, well thanks a lot. Thanks, Josh. 